to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for stopping by the Houston Sports Talk. Robert Land along with co-host R.G. Seal. And R.G., I think if you're an Astros fan, you're starting to come to the conclusion that maybe Alex Bregman, a year removed from Jose Altuve winning the MVP, maybe he's the best Astro after all. I mean, this guy just gets better and better every day. And you start looking up at his numbers and, oh, my God, he's he's just about a 300 hitter. He's got nearly a 950 OPS as you and I are speaking. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, just over the last 30 days, I mean, he's got a 374 average, an over 1,109 OPS. He has six home runs, 20 RBIs, but so many of those are clutch. I mean, the thing about Bregman, I mean, with the runners in scoring position, he's one of the better better hitters in the league. I mean, he just finds ways. Uh, you want him up at the plate late in the game. You want him up in a clutch situation. And you're right. He's he's, he's thrust himself into the MVP discussion. Uh, he started off a little bit slow. He he seems to get, uh, take a while to get it going. We remember when he made his debut and uh, a couple of years back. And remember, he was uh, unable to hit. And A.J. Hinch has said, hey, just hang in there. And I'm going to keep penciling you in the lineup. And you'll be the best hitter on this team. Well, you know, it's a couple of years later, but again, he's definitely holding his own right now in the MVP talk. Definitely the MVP for the Astros this season, because as we know, Jose Altuve, George Springer and Carlos Correa have all been injured. And Alex Bregman's been the rock solid piece in the lineup that A.J. Hinch can turn to every day. Yeah, it just gets on base. It seems like every single game you can count and hey, on. Hey, you got to love the stare, too. He started the Bregman stare. Everybody's doing it, right? It's like kind of the Macarena type thing, right? Where everybody's got to do the Bregman <laughs> stare when they go to the ballpark. You know? Yeah, it's it's turned into a, an Astros classic. Uh, there are going to be all these selfies. You know, Hopefully it's October. It'll be exciting where everybody can do the Bregman stare late into October. Hey, and we're going to talk Rockets and Texans later, so don't go anywhere if you... I want to hear about them, but uh, you talk about Bregman hitting in the clutch. I mean, this is ridiculous. With runners in scoring position this year, Alex Bregman is hitting 393 with a 1,232 OPS, 1,232 OPS, 393. And the Astros, they've got some clutch guys. George Springer this year, he's hitting 291 with runners in scoring position with a 937 OPS. And Yuli Gurriel, I mean, just year, you know, a year in and year out now, it, it has become commonplace for his career. These are it's not one year, it's not the last two or three weeks, it's not like the last month or two. Yuli Gurriel for his career with runners in scoring position, RG three forty nine with a nine fifty six OPS. I mean, that's why I always love seeing uh, Yuli Gurriel up there. I mean, he's kind of the unsung hero in the uh, Astros lineup. You just don't really even think. You always think about, you know, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, of course, uh, George Springer, on and on. And then you, you kind of forget that there's this guy who, you know, was one of the best hitters in all of Cuba before he came over to the United States, uh, has always been a professional hitter. He kind of reminds me of like, you know, like a Moises Alou where you just pencil the guy in as this guy could just hit. You know, remember they used to say he could hit falling out of bed. And it's almost the way that Yuli Gurriel is kind of the same way. He's just a good hitter. And he's like he seems to get better, like you said, in, in clutch situations when men are on base, when the, the stakes are higher. And it, it's it's good to know that, you know, you have these guys with postseason experience that have been through this dance before that aren't afraid up at the plate and late, late in games because we have seen seen over the course of our careers some some players athletes you know again i give athletes at the highest level all the credit in the world even to get there but some get the yips 
You know, that just happens. And there and there's some guys that seem to have ice in their veins and, you know, come through in the clutch. And uh, that's what's good to see about like a, a Yuli Gurriel. He just has kind of that calming presence in a lineup where, you know, when you, you have him in there, that he's, he's going to be somebody that contributes and, and can hit in clutch situations. So, uh, yeah, I think the Astros, that's, uh, you know, one of the things this year, their lineup's been streaky. Uh, you know, it's been inconsistent. But then you look at some of these guys, and now that they're getting their health back, you kind of have to feel good going into the final months of the season and October if they can stay healthy. All right, now we got to get to my weekly love fest with uh, Tyler White. And I'm just curious, RG, because I asked Houston Sports Talk Twitter, I said, is it time to flip Correa and Tyler White in the lineup? 53% said no. I don't understand why you would say no at this point. I mean, <laughs> uh, Tyler White's got a OPS that's 200 points better. Uh, Correa just can't seem to get it going this year. Not to say it's not going to happen, but this year, why not flipping flip them around? What's the worst that can happen? I mean, Correa starts hitting and Tyler White doesn't. Well, then you flip them back, right? Well, no, I just don't agree with that. I don't agree with your assessment right there. Look, I mean, Correa, over the course since he's come up, he's been – I know he's having a down season. Look, we all recognize that from his numbers. But uh, at the same time, you also like to have per- protection for Correa right now where you have it – and look, they – Kind of like you can put him in the order there where you have Tyler White batting behind him. And Tyler White's comfortable in that spot. When you move him up in the order, all of a sudden you're saying, well, you're the cleanup hitter. Not everybody can take being the cleanup hitter. Not everybody, you know, he's really thriving in that spot. Why do you want to move him out of a spot where he's really doing well? Well, he was the cleanup hitter when Correa wasn't playing or Springer wasn't playing. It wasn't. But but you want Carlos. But Carlos. Correa, face it. I mean, over the course of his career, the promise that he has, what he's done over his career up until this season. Granted, Tyler White's having a great season. Carlos Correa is the better, the better player overall. He's he's the better prospect. He's got the better future. I mean, it's just I don't think at this point in the season, and when you've had you know where you have Carlos Correa, who also knows how to take an at bat. Still, yes, I know he's had problems with the inside stuff. He's a, he's a, let me get, let me just say this. You said he's a better player at this point. He's a better fielder, but this year Tyler White is a better hitter and that's what we're talking about well, over a small slice of the season where Carlos Correa is coming back from a back injury which we don't even know how healthy he is you know about back injuries you know about how things with players that you know I, to me this is almost kind of a look I I mean I I understand we're all excited about Tyler White he's having a great season I I love the fact that you know he has been clutch and what he's been doing this season you know not trying to diss him here but you're you're putting him on a level it's like right look over the last 2 weeks Tyler White's been better than Jose Altuve do you want to switch Jose Altuve in the lineup with Tyler White do you want to say that Tyler White's a better player than Jose Altuve just because of the last 3 weeks I mean come on I mean some of these things are you, you know you look at it. You look at Carlos Correa. Wait, 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 wait. I got to oh, stop yeah. you right there. I got to stop you right there because uh, I, I, one thing you keep, keep saying is wrong. It's not over the course of a couple of weeks. It's over the course the whole season. Correa has I'm been down. With Jose Altuve coming back over the last couple of weeks, he hasn't looked like the same player. And and, and he has been moved in the lineup by by AJ Hinch. He has been moved. Yeah, but he was moved up. But he's still second, third, and and I I don't know. Look, maybe you're right. Maybe AJ Hinch will move into the four. I just don't think you put somebody. To me, I kind of want. I like Tyler White in the five or the six hole. Kind of strengthens your lower part of that lineup when you start going down in the lineup and you get 
get you know down to your your lower hitters. I mean, and still with with Tyler White, you you kind of stretch up with with the. I mean, we still know that like George Springer, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, however you want to put him, Carlos Correa. Those are the guys, and then you throw in a Yuli Gurriel, now Tyler White. You can kind of put that – it just kind of extends the lineup. But I, I just think that, look, Tyler White's had a sensational you know, last month and a half, whatever you want to call it. He's had a very good season. But I, you know, if this was somebody that had been doing it over the last three or four years and was a perennial all-star – I mean, look, Carlos Correa is also coming off an injury. He's finally getting his time in, in mechanics back. He he did have uh you know a big hit over the weekend in, in the series versus the Angels, um, so I mean you 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 know to me it's just like at this point you know don't just try to keep tinkering the lineup. It's not going to change the course of history. And AJ Hinch tinkers with the lineup plenty. Guys get moved around all the time if they're hot, if they're not playing well whatever. And look, Correa, he's got plenty of protection if he moves down to the fifth spot. We just talked about uh, the best clutch hitter on the Astros uh, outside of Alex Bregman is Yuli Gurriel. But you also want to have it to where guys could potentially, so if it's, an, you know, you the higher you are up in the lineup, potentially you'll have more at-bats during a game. And Tyler White deserves more at-bats because he's, he's a better on-base guy. I mean, he's got a better eye than Carlos Correa. I, I think he's, he's proving that. I, I mean, but this is a small sample, and Carlos Correa's come off like a back injury and he's just kind yeah, of but that's the point that's the point though he's coming off a back injury and we don't know if he's going to be able to come back this year I, fully but i think 100%. If he can bring the bell and he plays every single day and he's starting to improve again i just I, I i still think that with carlos correa he's a very good hitter he has a good patient approach at the plate it, but yeah i mean if his power numbers continue to dip if he's not able to do those things but i still think that it's almost a little bit of an overreaction because he came back you know, second week of August, I think I want to, what wasn't it where he came back in the lineup? He'd been out for what, six or seven weeks. He really only had a little bit of rehab. He has a bad, he's had a bad back this season. So it's, it's kind of getting acclimated, getting back into things. And sometimes I can take a month. Sometimes I can take five weeks. That's why you don't really want to have somebody, Hey, coming back, right? Like Aaron judge, if I'm the Yankees, I'm a little bit kind of afraid of that with his fractured hand. And they said, Oh, he'd be back at the beginning of September. Well, now they're saying, oh, well, maybe he'll be back at the end of September. Well, you know, if you've been out a couple of months and you've got to come face major league pitching and they're throwing 95 to 100 miles per hour as a playoff atmosphere, I know Aaron Judge is a great player, but even great players, you sit out for two months, you can't even do baseball activities and, and do the normal things that you do. It's like coming back, you know, after going into spring training. That's why players need times and at bat and get their, their, their rhythm going again. So to like thrust them in the season and say, okay, pick up where you left off, at, you know, I mean, in Injuries do play a part there, and I just think that if we're seeing at the end of if we're seeing at the end of September where Carlos Correa still has very few extra base hits, he's batting 150 and all that. Yes, I'd be more inclined to do that then. I just think it's a little bit of an overreaction right now, based on three weeks to say, oh my gosh, you know, it's time to time to change things around. Yeah, I think it's an overreaction by you. It's not like I said to Carlos Correa, let's put him in the nine spot. I'm moving him one down in the order, taking a little bit of pressure off of him because he, he is struggling. Maybe it gets him going. But I also think I also think a part of it is that when somebody has success in a certain spot, remember George Springer? He had success out of the, the – and you put him in the RBA spot. For whatever reason, he doesn't hit as well. Why, when you have Tyler White, he's hitting like a monster right now. He's doing great. He's in the five hole. He, you know, he's comfortable there, you know, in the five, six hole, wherever they, they put him. 
and he's really thriving from there. You know, cleanup's a whole different ball game. I mean, when you're a cleanup hitter still in baseball, that means something. That could be an added burden, added pressure. I just like having Tyler White free to do what he needs to do. Let him be the great white shark. Let him roam there in the ocean. You know, let him have uh, go after it that way. You know, you don't don't put him in a cage. Don't put him in that cleanup cage necessarily. The Astros minor leagues continue to be super impressive, and it's not just at the major league level. We talk about the Astros. You know, they've got a great record. Of course, they've been the third best team in all of baseball most of the season. But you start going down the records in AAA. They were eighty-one and fifty-seven this year. Double A, eighty-one and fifty-six. Uh, high A, eighty and fifty-seven. Uh, the next A, a uh, middle A, I guess, eighty and fifty-nine. And low A, 42 and 32. Just incredible. One of the guys, RG, that we saw get brought up, Josh James had his first start as an Astro. And I don't know what you saw, but brother, that guy has got some electric stuff. Charlie Morton's going to be back in the rotation. Josh James is going to be moved to the bullpen. But I heard Jeff Luno say that he has the most electric stuff of any guy in the Astros farm system. And you could tell when you saw him pitch and he also uh, has the most electric sweat. He, he seemed to be uh, sweating more than uh, most starters that I've seen with the Astros over the course of the, he, he leads the Astros and, and pitcher sweat uh, from what I saw. Is that something we're going to see in the gift shop now? Pitcher sweat. Is that why you're bringing that up? You can put it on his bobblehead. Maybe <laughs> you can put pitcher sweat on the bobblehead. That uh, you, that's true. Maybe come out with a bobblehead next year. Yeah. yeah. The sweaty Josh James. Right. Um, I, I was really impressed by just like what you were. I mean, he only gave up that that mistake to Cole Calhoun, where it was a three run home run. But other than that, I mean, he was, you know, really he had the most strikeouts for Astros rookie. Uh, right. And since uh, J.R. Richard, uh, I believe Richard had, you know, double digit strikeouts. That That's kind of who he reminded me of, to be honest yeah. with you a little bit. When I was watching him pitch, I was like. Man, I haven't seen this kind of stuff in an Astros uniform maybe since J.R. Richard. I mean, well, you're talking about 100 miles per hour, right? So there's there's very few in that club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, of course, yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, we're talking about the same team that's got Josh Verlander, and I thought that Josh James's stuff was even stronger. Well, I mean, Verlander's, uh, you know, still incredible and great pitcher. And it's, it's not just how, yeah, you know, yeah. as Verlander's got the control, of course, control. And also it's spin rate. It's being able to to, to, to throw your pitches in the correct spots. And that's the one thing you got to worry about with uh, Josh James at this point. He walks a lot of guys. But what I think is interesting is that. Look, Charlie Morton's coming back. Uh, he's been on the disabled list. The Astros said he's expected to start on Saturday against the Boston Red Sox. So kind of a, a big series and could be in uh, a preview of a playoff series. Hopefully it would be the American League Championship Series if the Astros able to advance there. So you now have another bullpen weapon. And when you're kind of looking at the Astros bullpen right now, you know, they're kind of an underrated bunch because they did make the trade for Roberto Asuna, and he's kind of been designated the closer. But you have Hector Rondon, who the Astros got last offseason, who's been great. Uh, and then you also have, you know, uh, 
Joe Smith, who's pitched well, uh, you know, he started off kind of rocky and people were wondering, you know, was this a good acquisition? And then he's pitched really well. He's had some big moments. Uh, Tony Sips had a comeback season. Of course, Colin McHugh, the guy to kind of worry about right now. And he's just coming back from the disabled list is as uh, and of course, Ryan Presley. How could I forget about him? Because he's pitched great since he came over from Minnesota. But it, it's Chris Davinsky. And where does he slot in here? To me, it's almost doesn't it seem like to you doesn't it seem like kind of audition over the next few weeks as to whether he'll have a prime spot on a playoff roster. Chris Davinsky versus Joe Smith for the last right-handed relief spot on the playoff roster. That's my opinion. What do you think? I mean, that's what I'm saying. He's going to have to really pitch well over the course of this month. I am still not a huge Will Harris fan, though. I know some people... I've already got him out. Like, if you go through the pitching staff... We also don't know if, like, if you have Josh James on there. And again, he's got to prove, too, coming out of the bullpen that he can do it. You're automatically putting him on the roster. You're automatically putting Lance McCullers probably on there. We don't know how he's going to come back from injury. Hopefully, he'll be ready. I don't have Josh James on there automatically, though. No, no. I mean, I got... You know... you, I mean, look, there, you, you got, I think it's, I want to say it's 12 pitchers that the Astros went with last year. Right. They went with 13 position players and 12 pitchers. So you got the five starters, which McCullers has now been moved to the bullpen. So you got those five guys. We're forgetting about Peacock, too. He's another guy. Yeah, no, Peacock I've got on there. I've got Peacock. I've got McHugh. I've got Rondon. I've got Osuna. Uh, Tony Sip, because you got to have a lefty, you know, and to me, Joe Smith is is definitely right there. He's on the roster. Well, I, I think yeah, right now, if you were to making it, you'd have to take Joe Smith. Look, he he throws sidearm, so it's a different kind of delivery and style, especially during the postseason. He pitched with Cleveland uh, uh, last season, and so he has a postseason experience. I mean, so does Chris Davinsky being in the ALCS and uh, ALDS, ALCS and World Series. I'm not counting Chris Davinsky out, uh, but he just hasn't looked good in his last few outings. He's given up a lot of home runs. Uh, he just hasn't looked sharp. And, I mean, of course the Astros would love to be able to have Chris Davinsky going full steam and being the Chris Davinsky that was the all-star from last season. He's going to have to show it over this last month. We're going to have to see what, you know, it, there are going to be guys auditioning and jockeying for bullpen spots because, you know, you're you're going to go with your best guys. You have to. I mean, there's – and although, the, you know, and I assume like you do that they're going to go with 13 position players. They could go with 13 pitchers like during the regular season, but you know, especially with playoffs being able to move in and out and have that. But more, more likely, more likely they go with 13 position players. And if Jake Marisnik is healthy, he's got a spot to me over – Max Stassi or Derek Fisher. And I, I did mention Ryan Presley. Ryan Presley, of course, is also going to be on that postseason pitching roster. He's got a guaranteed spot. So, you know, I, I really right. feel like Will Harris is out. And then it's a battle with between Joe Smith and, and Chris Davinsky. Unless Josh James just throws everything into a tizzy and, and then you think, okay, he's going to be more worth it. It's going to be more worth it to have him than, than Joe Smith or Chris Davinsky. I mean, that's a big... Uh, leap that you're making for a kid that's just well, again uh, we also have to see that Lance, you're you're again assuming that Lance McCullers comes back and is able to take his spot in the roster we've got to see how he rebounds from injury hopefully he can and 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 can be on the postseason roster because it, just last week AJ Hinch said it's getting late he's probably not going to start he's going to be out of the bullpen you know Jeff Luno kind of reaffirmed that so it's like we have to be able to see and their Astros have had some injury problems here so I mean that's going to be a big 
a big sign here coming over the stretch run as to how they shape the playoff roster. But what's good is that you like to have a lot of good options for the bullpen. Remember last year it was like uh, Francisco Liriano or Tony Sipp. Both of them weren't really pitching well. Luke Gregerson, you know, it had a difficult season and you're like, well, let's still have to put him on the roster anyway. Uh, you know, Colin McHugh was just coming back from injury. And remember that that's why the Astros had to use their starters late in. And they had to move them from, you know, to the bullpen. And you had uh, Brad Peacock closing out games and Lance McCullers closing out games and Charlie Morton closing out games is because of of how bad the bullpen was last postseason. So it's a good sign that at least you have relievers. And, and heading into the postseason where, where pitchers are pitching well. All right, think about what your final Astros or baseball thoughts are for a second, RG. While I take a quick second just to remind everybody about HBOT America. Many of you have heard about the benefits of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. LeBron James uses it for recovery. Tiger Woods as well. You can do it here in Houston without even buying your own hyperbaric chamber. And you can also save some money by just listening to Houston Sports Talk. It uses pure oxygen under higher atmospheric pressure to help the blood saturate and absorb more oxygen into the tissues. It promotes reduction in inflammation, accelerates recovery time, increases blood flow, and studies show it helps with concussions and even cognitive function of the brain. So if you're an athlete out there, you've suffered some concussions, this might help you a ton. If you'd like to see the effects, call HBOT America at 832-986-5144 go to hbotamerica.com. I've been a regular at their location on Kirby by NRG Stadium. They're going to treat you right over there. And if you just mention Houston Sports Talk and the promo code HST25, as in Houston Sports Talk, 25, as in 25% off, you get a discount of 25% on the services or you can also put HST25 into the website. Uh, same thing. So in case you forget any of that, just look for the promo code in the description of the podcast. All right, RG, any final thoughts on Astros or baseball before we talk rocks? Well, yeah, we didn't talk about it last week, but what did you think of a couple of things? What did you think of the A.J. Hinge contract extension? You got to do it. I mean, the guy's incredible. I mean, I, how can you not like A.J. Hinge? Occasionally... We're, we get picky on some moves that he makes here and there. Uh, he can frustrate you. Every, but that's every manager, I guess. And uh, he's just – the thing that is so impressive, RG, with him is uh, he is such a good psychiatrist for this team. <laughs> he does that as well as anything. Uh, you feel like he knows exactly which buttons to push. He knows what's going on, the Stanford education, uh, the intelligence. When you just hear him, you just know how smart he is and how much in control he is of this team when you hear him speak. Yeah, I mean, I was just uh, kind of, uh, you know, you'd already have to rank him like uh, among the best managers in Astros history, correct? I mean, where, where, where would you have him ranked right now? Well, he got a World Series, so you probably yep. got to put him at, at number one. But, you know, Phil Garner, for what he had those two years to come back and the miracle comebacks in 04 and 05. What about Larry Durker and Bill Verdon? Yeah, I, I, Durker's a real close third behind Gar. Uh, but I think Durker had more to work with those years that he was taking the Astros to the playoffs. And you, you A had lot a, of people talk about Bill Verdon, though. I mean, maybe because we're maybe we're too young, didn't see him up close and how he managed and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, that that's a guy that's always mentioned, too. Yeah, the frustrating thing with Bill Verdon is you, you think maybe the Astros were more talented than the Phillies in 1980 when they lost that playoff series and maybe that's not fair to bill Verdon, but i still feel like they should have won that series with the talent that the astros had all over the place when you it's kind of interesting when you were talking about aj hinch though and, and managing egos remember that was a big thing about like it was i say that with 
you know, players today in modern baseball and being a great psychiatrist or having the psychology degree from Stanford to where you can lend that expertise inside the clubhouse. But remember, like when uh, Joe Torre and the Yankees teams, I mean, it was more about, you know, you always had all the, the egos in the Yan- Yankees clubhouse and the great players. And of course, you had to deal with it. And he was basically just a guy. I mean, Joe Torre was another excellent psychologist. He was just basically able to. And that's why he was so successful over his years in New York. And, and you really I mean, there are guys that can be the better look. I mean, strategists, there's nobody that Tony La Russa was another one. He was able to look a, a great, uh, brilliant mind, but also, uh, you know, very good as far as like reading the minds of his players and, and, and knowing kind of when to push the right buttons. And that's a big part of managing, especially when you get to this level where. Look, everybody has all the uh, analytics now and statistics. And I kind of laughed. There was an article a couple of weeks ago that like uh, where Goose Gossage, one of the old old former Hall of Fame player, too. Right. Uh, He basically said, you know, any nerd can come down and manage. But I still think that, you know, that's, you know, might be saying that as the old time ball player that sees all these guys come down with their data sheets and all the information at their fingertips. But at the same time, I mean, you have what really separates today is like like an A.J. Hinch who can, you know, know what buttons to push, how to manage the different players, how to get the most out of them. That's still the, the biggest thing about coaching or managing in baseball. Yeah, funny you should mention Joe Torre because I was fortunate enough to be around Joe. with He was with the Cardinals before he went to the Yankees. And maybe he wasn't considered quite as smart because they couldn't do much with the Cardinals teams, but they were, they were bad. Uh, it was a kind of a bad stretch for Cardinals baseball. But Joe Torrey and and uh, Hinch remind me of each other a little bit. Yeah, no, I can see the similarity a little bit in those guys. I mean, they are so likable when you're around them. It's hard not to respect them. And uh, they just seem like they are really good guys that you want to uh, do well for if you were a player. I mean, I, that's why I look with both of those guys. And um, both of them, obviously, you know, like we said, it just really – and incredibly smart guys as well. But yeah, before we move on to another thing, I just wanted to get your thoughts too, because we were uh, briefly discussing it before the show today about like uh, Shohei Otani. That news came down. UCL damage looks like he's going to have Tommy John surgery. To me, he's been, I mean, definitely one of the most uh, eye popping players to watch. I mean, just to see him at bat, you know, and unfortunately, it, it, it sounds like he can still, until he has a surgery, he can still bat. So you can still go out and watch him playing he's an excellent hitter but i mean the the whole appeal is of being a two-way player being able to pitch and even in those you know first couple of innings over the 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 weekend against the astros in that start i mean you just saw kind of the electric stuff that he has and why he's so exciting to watch it's the worst case scenario if you want to see this really freak of nature somebody that can do both things that pitch and hit uh lots of injuries early on in a career would scare organizations away from uh, letting him do both of those things. Now, maybe he, he takes his glove and goes back to Japan if, if they tell him that they want him to do just one thing. But uh, even Otani's got to start thinking about this himself. Does he really want to risk his entire career to try to do both things? And with uh, the injuries to the pitching uh, arm, it seems like you know the thing that he might want to stick with is the hitting because it's, it's less likely to have that that kind of weird injury when you're a hitter. I mean, I'd still like to see him be a two way player. So I mean, I mean, he's going to have the Tommy John surgery, but that means a year before you pitch again. So it probably is 
going to be 2020 when he pitches again. But what do you bring him at, back as? Maybe I, I saw like Dan O'Dowd on MLB Network talking, and he had an interesting idea, uh, former general manager. Uh, and he said that maybe it would be better to have him be a closer. That way you could, you know, he just comes in, pitches a few pitches, you know, could still be in the lineup. Uh, but, you're, you know, you, th- that's the alternative to having him pitch, you know, once every week where it comes in and, you know, pitches 100 pitches. Maybe you just have him come in for those 15, 20 pitches, you know, a, uh, and, and be a closer, be a relief pitcher. Yeah, my Japanese isn't good enough to know wh- what he would think about it. And it, it's just it all depends on Otani. I mean, we could we could talk about what we would do or what we what we would want, but well, he's under contract right now, though. So I mean, yeah, but you can't of- make him. You can't make a guy do what he don't want. I mean, that's you're you're going to lose somebody. You're going to lose the guy. I mean, as as a player, if you start. You know, saying, well, you, you have to do this or you have to do that. But I think he also wants what's best for him, too. And he wants people to both pitch and to hit. So it's just finding a way to do that. If you if you present him and say, look, over the longevity of your career, being able to do that, this is a way that we want you to do it. You know, and this is a you know how we I mean, that's up to the angel. It's just an interesting case. But I, I wanted him to succeed because I'd like to see more of this in baseball. It actually makes it more exciting when you can see, hey, there's a two way player on the field. Now will teams shy away and, and still push players back to doing the one thing? You don't I, want you know, him to succeed too much, though, because then he hurts the Astros because he's on the Angels, RG, if you forgot. Well, Mike, Mike Trout does a pretty good job of succeeding, and still the Astros have gotten better. So, I mean, yeah, there's always going to be some great players around baseball. But, yeah, no, definitely want the Astros to – being Houston Astros fans, of course, yeah. We're 30 <laughs> minutes of the show. we got to talk about Ryan Anderson, RG. I mean, we, we've been – teasing ryan anderson trades for like three or four months it finally happened the worst contract in history is it is it the brock osweiler contract is it the ryan anderson contract is it the carlos lee contract i mean every sports franchise has one i guess definitely like that so in houston but where where do you fall in on that first before even getting the ryan anderson being dealt well brock was not a was a crappy player and at least ryan anderson and carlos lee could contribute occasionally to winning a ball game uh but you know when you're when you get stuck in the nba with the salary cap the way it is uh that's where you can really get into some danger and so uh, I, I would say ryan anderson in a lot of ways was the most handcuffing uh, to your franchise but um, they they trade him and DeAnthony Melton, who you know it, it, they finally got somebody that was young, a draft pick that maybe could do something. This was a guy that some people thought was a lottery pick, DeAnthony Melton, and and so now you you take him out to get rid of Ryan Anderson, and you uh, Ryan Anderson rejoins Trevor Ariza over with Phoenix, and they get Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris. Uh, all right, so what do you think of the deal? Here's what. You know, I looked up Brandon Knight, career 35.7% three-point shooter, uh, which is okay. It's That's like, speaking of Trevor Reason, that's like Trevor Reason numbers. Um, but, you know, we got the injury history with him. He's averaged 53 games over the last two years. Uh, it makes him the perfect Chris Paul clone, though, RG. Uh, maybe they can have opposite uh, injury cycles so we can get uh, an 82-game season out of between the two of them. Well, it is good to have that backup point guard depth, but I hated to see uh, DeAndre Melton go from what you said there. I mean, he was a guy that fell to the second round. Really, a lot of people looked at him as a first rounder, and he showed all that promise in the 
Las Vegas Summer League. But in order to deal Ryan Anderson, you had to give away something. Rockets didn't end up trading a first-round pick, which most figured they were going to have to include in any kind of deal. So they were able to save on that. Plus, they still have, I, I believe, a trade exception, correct? So, I mean, there's still some things they can do. They still need to add to the team. We're, we're, you know, Ryan Anderson wasn't really going to be. He was great for the Rockets a couple of years ago when they were just trying to be a playoff team, you know, um, uh, get better under D'Antoni after the Dwight Howard fiasco and leaving. And so, I mean, the Rockets signed him and all of a sudden their championship status and he can't even get in the game against the Golden State Warriors last year. You know, so he basically had become useless. But going to a team like Phoenix, I mean, he's going to be a good player for them. He's stretched four. He can just go out. They're not expected to win. It's kind of the same situation. The Rockets, you're not expected to win a championship, can go out there, give him minutes. He can play. He's a good three-point shooter. He's a good offensive player. But the Rockets need to have somebody who can play defense, which is the big question with Carmelo Anthony right now. The team is uh, he's a de- defensive liability. So uh, Jeff Bedillick, the, the 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 Rockets' defensive guru, is going to have his uh, you know work cut out for him because he's going to have to find a way for. Uh, Marquise Chris, right, the player that came over from Phoenix, and then also James Ennis and some of these other players that have signed with the Rockets, incorporate them in defensively because you can't lose on the defensive end. Uh, I, I mean, they're not going to be as good without Luke Mabumute and Trevor Ariza, let's face it. But they're supposedly going to get a little bit more offense, and, and hopefully the defense you know, won't fall off that much. And you kind of look at the progression of Clint Capella, and you'll still have P.J. Tucker and players like that. And, uh, but but I still am wondering what the Rockets are going to do within season buyout. I mean, Daryl Morey still has some more more moves up his uh, up his well, sleeve. The thing is, if you split these t- t- two, if you split the Ryan Anderson contract into these two contracts, it's easier to deal a Brandon Knight maybe than it would have been to deal a Ryan Anderson. So he's sure. still got some options available. That's a good point. Uh, you said there were, you know, th- there's no pressure in Phoenix because you're not expected to win the championship. Well. Really, there's 31 teams that aren't expected to win the championship or whatever. There's all but one team. is. <laughs> well, how many teams in the NBA? Like 30 or 32? Uh, only one of them is expected to win a championship. Well, there's... I'm just saying it would even be contender status. There's the Rockets. There's the Lakers now because of LeBron James. There's, you know, still as long as Oklahoma City. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. I, I mean, I know what you mean. You have certain teams, but like Phoenix isn't winning a championship next year no matter what. So, I mean, in fact, they were already talking about could Trevor Reza be bought out and returned to the Rockets? I mean, it's just like, you know, I'd be all for that. The other, the other thing that was disappointing about that trade, or the one thing that was disappointing about the trade, I mean, overall, you got rid of Ryan Anderson. Hopefully you got a couple of contributors for him. Maybe you got somebody that's more tradable. Brandon Knight um, definitely can help you out if he's healthy. But the, the d- disappointing thing is the talk was, you know, we, we, we mentioned that, potential deal with the Miami Heat and a couple other deals that had them getting wing players that could help you in a Golden State series and they didn't get that wing player Marquise Chris is six foot ten he's not really a three-point shooter at this point in his career he's only 20 he's been kind of a disappointment Um, he's somebody that might be more Clint Capella than anything else uh, if he does get playing time on this roster, he might be maybe a Capella black uh, backup, somebody that could, um, you know, go to the rim like Capella did and slam dunk it with hardened alley-oops and stuff like that. But I mean, if you look at the other trades, you were getting somebody that maybe could help you against Golden State and they're not getting that with this deal. That's that's the only frustrating part about this trade from my perspective. No, that is. I agree with you. That's the frustrating part. 
because it, you know, they need wing players. And that's what in today's NBA, you need the wing players, the interchangeable guys, the guys who play offense and defense. And especially going up against uh, Golden State. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, the Rockets played excellent defense against them last year. They had their opportunities to win that series. Maybe they do if Chris, Chris Paul is healthy. I mean, we kind of felt that way. And, and that was what was so frustrating about it. And a lot of people are thinking, well, the Rockets aren't going to be as good this year because they added what many people just proceed to be, you know, a headache in the locker room and a guy who's past his prime and Carmelo Anthony, he's got a lot to prove. He's going to have to prove that, you know, he can come in there and be the scorer that the Rockets expect, whether he's in the starting lineup or coming off the bench. But I think what it gets back to here is after this deal, the Rockets just wanted to get rid of Ryan Anderson. They want to get rid of that contract. They want to move forward. And like you said, they now have at least a, a lesser contract, maybe easier to deal here, but they're, they're going to be active at the trading deadline. They're going to be active in the buyout market. I mean, the Rockets have positioned themselves for that. So, you know, like Daryl Morey often says, don't look at my roster now. Look at it, you know, come springtime when we're getting ready for the playoffs. And I really feel that's the case this year because, I mean, you, me, we, I mean, we're, it's pretty obvious. They need to add some wing players. They need to add some defensive uh tenacity to this roster and i think that they'll eventually do it it's just it might it's going to come in season and we'll just have to see how they eventually finish uh, shaping out this roster over on my locked on texans podcast i'm predicting big things for the texans rg i think they're going to win the afc south what do you think do you think they're going to win the afc south (sighs) you know a lot of people are picking jacksonville this year to do it because they got to like a uh, they could have been in the Super Bowl. They got close against the New England Patriots. But I, I just Blake Bortles. He had a really good year last year. The coach coming over, the defense. I just don't see that happening. I, I'm still wondering, and like you know, with a- Andrew Luck coming back with Indianapolis, and and uh, there's still some question marks with Tennessee, of course, and and how how they move forward with their new coach Mike Vrabel. So yeah, I I would agree with you there uh, about the Texans, just because I'm I'm. I'm high on Deshaun Watson and I'm high on the defense. If it can stay healthy, if JJ Watkins in the field, if, 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 uh, Whitney Merciless and uh, Jadavion Clowney, all these guys, you know, getting, uh, Honey Badger, Terrell Matthew, all these guys can stay healthy and stay on the field under Romeo Cornell. This can be a very good defense. So you have the defense, you have the offensive playmaker finally with Deshaun Watson who can make things happen. Not only do I see them winning the division, I, I kind of surprisingly have them in the AFC championship. I, I could see them going that far. So I, I maybe I'm making too big of a thing here, but winning the division and getting the playoffs, I just see them getting that far. But I kind of almost see, if you're asking big picture at NFL, I see a rematch of the 19, what, 79 season, 1980 Super Bowl. I see Rams and Pittsburgh Steelers. That's where I would go right now. I know I'm not picking the New England Patriots who have a cream puff schedule and all of that, that they got the easy division and, you know, will be in the playoffs. But I just think, you know, long postseasons, last couple of years, Tom Brady is 40 years old now. And, you know, I just feel like the also, the windows closing on the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is their time. And I, I really like the Rams, what they were able to do last season. They kind of remind me of the Philadelphia Eagles. They got into the playoffs last year. They got their taste. They're ready. They're loaded. They have a lot of players. You know, uh, Goff's coming into his third season now. But they also, Aaron Donald leads the defense. I mean, they have a really good defense. And Wade Phillips coaches over there, of course. So I'm, I'm going with the Rams actually winning the Super Bowl. So I'm reversing it on what happened 
several years ago, but uh, having the Rams win this time over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, Wade Phillips getting a second Super Bowl. You're out in L.A., so there's no bias from you being in L.A.? <laughs> I would say there was a little bit of bias there and stuff like that, but no, I mean, uh, I mean a little bit of bias because I like Wade Phillips. I do like, I mean, the, the Rams. I mean, they're a fun, entertaining team to watch. I've been out to the Coliseum, but I'm a Texan fan through and through. I, I wanted to pick Texans and Rams in the Super Bowl with the Texans winning, but, you know, I just... It's just hard to go for that leap. Deshaun Watson, as great you know as he was rookie year and doing that, but a lot of times, at least you kind of have to have that playoff experience first and in the NFL, and then the, the following season you can do that. Not to say you know who knows. I mean, this could be a first of a you know first time it happens and you know lead to a Super Bowl and all that sort of uh, jazz. But um, I you know I I think the Rams. I just liked how they played last season. I liked their coach. Uh, Sean McVay, I mean, I think he really did a, a tremendous job. He's young, he's hungry. And then also, I mean, Wade Phillips, we know what he can do with a defense. So, I, I mean, I just I just look at that team as as being really intriguing. And, I mean, a lot of people are picking, you know, Philadelphia to go back to the Super Bowl. But it's tough to repeat. It's tough, in, especially in today's NFL, to do that. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of competition. It seems a little bit more wide open to me uh, this year, although a lot of people are picking the Patriots to win, as always. Because as long as Belichick and Brady are there, uh, when you have that marriage, correct, uh, uh you're going to have the Patriots kind of penciled in for a Super Bowl, either winning it or getting there. Bigger buzz in L.A., LeBron James or Los Angeles Chargers? Charger mania? Yeah. Everybody forgetting about the Chargers, but, hey, I want to ask you about that because maybe you didn't discuss it on your Locked On Texans. And, by the way, there's a Locked On Texans that you do. Uh, get all your latest Houston Texans information there. And I wanted to ask you about the Khalil Mack trade because that's been the talk of the NFL, just not only because of, the magnitude of the player that was traded, but also because does this kind of send a signal, you know, are other franchises going to be doing this? You have your best player and, and, and David Carr's reaction and, you know, was, wow, he couldn't believe it. You know, he just like, are you serious type thing? You just traded our best defensive player, one of the best ones in the league. I mean, what did you think of that whole thing? And what do you think it bodes for the Raiders and the NFL with that type of trade? Uh, And one word for the Raiders stupid uh that was my take on what they're doing over there i have no idea what's going on you want to draft a guy like khalil mack that's going to be rushing the passer and getting to the quarterback for 10 12 13 years and yeah he didn't make your defense great by himself but that's more you know you there's no one guy in the nfl but you know if you put some decent guys around him uh, the Chargers defense should be pretty good when you got a pass rusher of his ilk. And, you know, you get two first round picks, which you just made the Bears better. So those first round picks are probably late first round picks. And what are you giving them a second round pick for? Because, look, I mean, uh, the second round pick for the Raiders is probably going to be just about as good as a first round pick for the it's just going to be a few picks behind maybe a first round pick for the Bears. So and were they going to say no? Uh, yeah, we're we're not making this trade unless you give us a second. No, they got uh, two first round picks or whatever uh, for Khalil Mack. The the Bears are going to go. Sure, that's fine. You know, they're not demanding a second round pick that you throw in and Khalil Mack. So yeah, stupid. That's my one word for that one. And it kind of makes it, you know, for that division too. That kind of throws the AFC West because immediately, I mean, the Raiders, uh, you know, without Khalil Mack, I'm sorry. I mean, I know John Gruden coming in there and doing that. I mean, it's already kind of thrown their team for a loop. But they were, you know, they had a difficult season last year. I just, I don't know if that, you know, so 
they're not the same magnitude team that they were previously. And then Pat Mahomes is the new uh, Mahomes is a new quarterback for Kansas City. Don't know how he's going to do. I mean, Andy Reid's always been an offensive genius, being able to do things. But you know, you still that's a new quarterback there. And then you know, Denver had a bad season last season, uh, and now they have Case Keenum. Case Keenum, you know, we all lo- love Case Keenum and seeing him. But if you're looking at division with the defense that San Diego had last year, they were nearly a playoff team. Plus, they have a franchise quarterback still with uh, Philip Rivers getting older. I mean, yeah, that's why people I think are picking the Chargers to win that AFC West. Uh, it sounds like you think that. The New England Patriots might lose this week if you've got the Texans and the uh, Steelers in the AFC Championship game. Well, I didn't say that. I mean, they, I, like I said, they probably go 13-3 and three or 14-2. and two. I just see them getting upset this year like they have in the past in, in the playoffs where nobody's kind of expecting it. So, uh, And maybe it's the Texans that do that. So, um, yeah, but I do. I do have the Texans and the Steelers. I just kind of felt like that, hey, let's go back to the old uh, – Love you, Blue, right? It was uh, Pittsburgh and uh, Houston fighting it out for birth to the Super Bowl and then ended up against the the Rams. You know. <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, you mentioned Locked On Texans earlier. I got to get going because I'm going to be recording one of those shows not too long from now. But that's it for this one. But I'm picking the Texans in the first game. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm making that prediction, RG. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm happy you are. Wow. So you're picking them outright, not just to cover with the six and a half points there. I got him to win this one. You're picking it outright to win. Deshaun Watson to go up there and Bill O'Brien's team to to take a victory away in the first game from Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Yep, you can uh, probably get a little bit more on my Locked On Texans podcast. We talked to uh, Locked On Patriots host Mark Schofield on Wednesday, and uh, we got a little insight from him. But, yeah, uh, that's my prediction. I got the Texans winning this one. Um, if, you're ever, if they're ever going to do it, this is the this is the one. This is the time. First game of the season. Everybody's healthy. Uh, they got Deshaun Watson. This is. Uh, I don't know if you can't do it now. I don't know when you can do it. But that's all we got for this one. Thanks again, RG. We'll talk again soon. Thanks again for listening. And if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com.